Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about clothes and increasingly stuff. My guest today hails from uh, the fine city of Sheffield in the UK. And uh, would you like to introduce yourself, Michael? Yes, of course. Uh, my name's Michael May, uh, and I'm a knife maker from Sheffield. Now, a knife maker from Sheffield. There have been knife makers from Sheffield before, I think, because Sheffield is known as the home of stainless steel, as far as I recall. That's right, yes. So, how on earth did you get into knife making? That seems quite an obscure job for a young man today. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it was something I definitely didn't set out doing. Uh, I'd just left college. I was uh, studying music. Uh, I didn't fancy carrying into carrying on into university or anything like that. Uh, basically, I wasn't that good, so uh, I uh, I was just looking for a job. And my sister-in-law and sister both worked at a cutlery factory in Sheffield called Taylor's Eyewitness. And basically, they just got me a job there, and I started off just in the warehouse. Uh, and I did various jobs around the factory, and then. Uh, eventually, I ended up in the pen and pocket knife department, I mean, and like they'd be, they'd been on short time, and they they were basically just down to one uh, member of staff. Uh, but then things started picking up there, and they asked me if I'd fancy trying that. So I went there, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I did that for uh, about three or four years, I think. Uh, but whilst I was there, I was studying at the Open University and I decided I'd like to go to university so I quit there and studied history at the University of Sheffield then I did my master's degree after that and then I was back to uh, what do I do now so and I was thinking about things and I really enjoyed making knives so I asked for uh, my old job back and he the manager Keith sent me sent me back on and uh, did that again for another, I think, six or seven years. And then I decided I'd like to uh, go out on my own and set up my own business. And that was five years ago in October. And here I am now. That's quite a twisty tale. Yeah. Um, When you were making pocket knives in the big company, did you sort of learn all the skills and the techniques and the crafty things that you needed to learn i i I, i'd say i'd learned enough to set up on my own i mean you you never stop learning i'm still learning i I don't think i'll ever stop learning i'm always trying to be uh, a better knife maker so but as far as uh the the basics uh yeah i'd learned i learned everything i can uh and i thought i was confident enough to be able to set out on my own. I have to ask, what was your master's degree in? Oh, that was history as well, yeah. <laughs> okay. It was, so uh, you've got... Yeah, local and global history. So and I managed to write about knife making even then. So it was sort of... I don't think I ever stopped thinking about knives. So... Just a slight obsession then. Uh, yeah, one that I never realised I had, so... Sheffield also has a history of knife making, I believe, yeah. with uh, a level of craftsmanship. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, it sort of almost died out in the 70s, 80s. That, I mean, it's only, there's only still like a handful of, of people who can uh, do what uh, what I do in Sheffield. It's uh, it's a real shame, but uh, can't. I have heard tell of the Little Meisters. Who are they? The Little Mesters, yes. Mesters. Mesters, yes. It's uh, sort of Sheffield vernacular. I think it derives from the word mister. Because think... in Norwegian, a meister, no, a German, a German meister would be a a maestro, a master. Yeah, I think but it's the same word in Norwegian is mester. Right. Okay. Well, I think it's a combination of master and mes- uh, mister. But like in Sheffield, uh, someone uh, will be called a mester instead of mister. It's just another word for for mister. But they all they also are master craftsmen. So I think it's a, a bit of mester, uh, master and mister. So, <laughs> That's a bit of a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've not been able to properly, like, absolutely identify the the etymology of that. But, but why were they little? Uh, I, I don't know where that bit comes from either. But uh, maybe because they were just essentially just it was one person doing one job. So uh, with regards to knife making, there's many different processes. Uh, and one guy would be a specialist in one area. So, like, uh, the assembly of pocket knives and the shaping, we call that hafting. Uh, one guy would be a specialist in that. One guy would be a specialist in grinding the knives, heat treating the knives, cutting the knife scales. So everyone had their own little specialist area, and they were called little mesters. And they rented a workshop and made... Uh, things for the bigger knife companies in Sheffield, like Rogers and Boston Homes and things like that. So, But nowadays you do everything on your own. I do well, 80, 90% of everything on my own because there isn't the other people doing it. I'm lucky, lucky, lucky enough here at Portland Works that there are a couple of blacksmiths here so I can get things forged here. But uh, the rest pretty much do myself we'll get back to the blacksmiths and that in a bit um sheffield steel stainless steel can you say anything about the history there because this is also a big part of the industrial revolution isn't it yeah absolutely i mean where i work here at portland works uh harry Brealey, who discovered stainless steel actually brought it here and it was the first place to actually manufacture stainless steel cutlery so there's a, a lot of history in this building that I'm in right now. So the building you're in now is part of a an artisan workshop a community in an old factory building, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was one of the first purpose-built factories where, as we were talking about with the Little Masters, they, were, they, they would have been even working in their own backyard. But this... Uh, was an actual building where everyone did the process to make the the entire product all under one roof. So there'd have been the 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 forgers, the hafters, the grinders, the cutlers, even the packing and everything like that was it was all done under one roof. And this was one of the first purpose built and 
nowadays there's I think there's about 30 different businesses all small businesses all making things again in Sheffield. It's remarkable that it hasn't been turned into flats. Well it almost was um, a few years ago there was uh, I think that's what they were trying to do but a big community came together and uh, bought shares and that and managed to raise enough money to buy the building and keep it as uh, as a place for little businesses to to work in. Oh, that's heartwarming. Yeah, it, it almost went into what a lot of the old uh, factories and buildings in Sheffield, which was uh, accommodation, but yeah, this this was saved and uh, enabled me to find a workshop. Because I, when I was looking to find a workshop, I wanted something with a bit of character as well, like how it would have been in the past, uh, whitewash walls and raining inside and stuff like that, and very cold. But uh, I could have got a modern workshop but it just wouldn't have felt the same because I was used to working in an old factory as well so I think uh, having the the historic significance of the building just it just adds to uh, provenance of it all I guess. Did you have any uh, little masters who sort of took you under their wings and apprenticed you when you started out? Well when I started at um, yeah Taylor's my manager there was he used to have his own knife making business, I think, in the eighties. Uh, he was a very good knife maker. He learned at Ibbotson's, which was a another one of the big uh, cutlers uh, in Sheffield. So uh, I, I learned under him uh, to a high standard. Um, it was very strict on uh, what was good. Uh, I always thought. I was doing all right, but then he'd pull my faults up every time. But it just, yeah, you kind of get annoyed at the time. But looking back now, I'm grateful for, uh, what's the word? Grateful for... The guidance, the, the, correction? The, yeah, the dissatisfaction, <laughs> the constant dissatisfaction. But, yeah, it makes, it, it's made me a better knife maker now, so... But I didn't have the, the traditional sort of apprenticeship where I would sit next to him... For eight years, I mean, that's how long the apprenticeship used to be, eight years before you could wow. uh, yeah, start earning your own money. But back then, there was hundreds and hundreds of, of patterns to learn. So there was, uh, yeah, a lot of learning to be done, but don't do quite that many patterns this uh, at this time. But I, I, it was still around eight years of uh, learning before I felt I was competent enough what sort of skills goes into knife making? Um, well, yeah, on paper, it's quite simple, like putting something together and make it work. But because I use a lot of like natural materials and a lot of, a lot of things are just cut out by hand and, and filed. There's a lot of little things to make it work properly uh, that you've got to learn. And I guess it's just experience and muscle memory and because part of the skill is is learning to do it quickly as well like I, I learned in a factory and that's called piecework and you earned your money by doing things as fast as you can and that's what one of the greatest uh things about the the knife makers in, in sheffield in, in the past is the the fantastic quality that they did 
but they did it so fast as well. Um, and I, I, it, I look back at, you know, like looking in antique shop at, at something that, that was made 100 years ago. And the, the craftsmanship that's gone into it is fantastic. But you, you, you'd have known they'd have done it as fast as possible as well. And um, you look at knife makers uh, now, especially uh, in America, it, it's, it's big over there, but they would spend months and months on something. And I just think, uh, I just wonder what the craftsmen of Sheffield of of old would have thought about spending months on something that they could have done in in a day or, or something like that. Well, if, they were, if they were being paid by the piece, uh, yeah, exactly, make yeah, them, make them wealthy if they were quick, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very poor if they were spending months on each one. That's it, and I mean. It, it's 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 not the highest paid job ever, and uh, especially um, back in the day, they were they they'd undercut each other as well to try and get the jobs. So increasingly getting paid less and less and less, and doing more and more, and still to the highest standard. It's uh, yeah, I think there uh, there wasn't the appreciation for their skill, but. Thinking nowadays, there's more of appreciation for it because there's not so many people doing it. Right, because is there just no? There wasn't. There were more than you doing it in Sheffield. Now was there? Yeah, there's um, there's only there's still only a handful, but um, I think it's still healthy enough to keep going for a, another generation, which is what we want. So, the others in Sheffield are they young guys like you? Or are they sort of older guys? I mean, uh, is there a, is there a sort of interest in knife making coming up from the from the teenagers these days? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got um, I call him an apprentice assistant. He's uh, he's twenty two and he's learning the job. And I know in the in the other uh, factories, um, all fairly young. Um, I mean, there's but there is also Stan Shaw who is in his nineties. Uh, he's still. Well, I'm not sure actually if he's still uh, making knives or not, uh, because he was working at Kellam Island Museum, and they've been closed obviously due due to COVID. But um, it's uh, yeah, still interest and um, and I can see it's, it continuing in Sheffield. From following you on social media and so forth, it does seem like. There is a high level of interest in custom-made or very personally-made knives these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I've definitely seen over the years um, an interest back into handmade products. Um, I think people have got sick of um, the buy cheap, buy twice um, and want something made to last now and and, I'm, and one of the things i'm trying to do the most is is tell people that especially the what with what i do that people are still making things in sheffield um because a lot of uh, i've had a lot of th- comments in the past like people haven't realized that um knife making is still going on in sheffield and it was something that Sheffield's very famous for. 
So one of the things I'm trying to do is tell as many people is that it's still going on in Sheffield and you can still buy handmade chefs, uh, handmade knives still made in Sheffield and still have that, uh, the, the quality behind the name. I'm just like, made in Sheffield on a knife should mean it's uh, made of the highest quality possible. And I know quality had dipped uh, and the reputation was starting to, to lose um, its impetus, but hopefully I'm trying to bring that back. Not just me, but I'm trying. Well, I think everyone's uh, everyone's trying, and there is a surprising amount of small scale industry going on in the UK still. Mm. The, the the oddest small companies doing weird stuff. I mean, be it slippers or umbrellas or shoehorns or or even knives of all sorts from Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose there's so businesses that are so small and traditional and ingrained that it makes no sense to try to offshore them. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm sitting here holding uh, one of the knives you've made. Okay, um, uh, the one you made for Hebtroco oh, yes. um, about three years ago. You probably made them before and after since. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Because it's quite a remarkably different knife to any other knife I have. Yeah, well, um, it's it's uh, well, it was Ed from Hebtroco just randomly walked into my work workshop and asked me to make him a knife. And, uh, and of course, you know, Hebtro Co. And they're all about uh, made in England and that. And he wanted uh, as many locally sourced products with the knife. So, and I use Yorkshire Oak a lot. A friend of mine, he works in the uh, forestry. He's a ranger of some kind. I can't quite remember, but he supplies me with lots of, locally sourced wood and then um i can't remember whether it was ed or ed suggested that he wanted to use some whitby jet uh from north yorkshire uh, i'd never tried it before and, uh so i thought i'd give it a go uh, I'm, not, I'm not even sure what whitby jet is whitby jet it's uh it's it's actually fossilized uh, monkey puzzle i believe um so it's 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 a similar uh, look to onyx it's like a um, shiny black hmm. um, which is found mainly on the beaches of, of Whitby in North Yorkshire right. so the the handle is Yorkshire oak with a Whitby jet collar uh, and the Damascus uh, clip point blade which is forged here at uh, Portland Works you're going to have to talk a bit more about the Damascus because uh, that is pretty rare these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's a laminated steel, so it's two steels forged together, well, or however however many layers you want, um, and then you forge it, and then you cut it and stack it, and forge it out again, and cut it and stack it, and then you get all the uh, the two different steels, uh, you get the exponential growth when uh, forging out and then uh, you grind it and then you etch it and then you see all the different layers in the uh, in the steel it and, gives a remarkable look and it yeah. reminds me i think damascus steel isn't that 
more sort of old swords, samurai swords, that type of thing? Yeah. Um, well, originally it was because the the carbon steel was more expensive and or harder to find or, or deal deal with, and so they'd forge it with uh, a less carbon rich steel, which was cheaper. Um, and basically, it was a way of of uh, making um, a knife with carbon in it, but using as little as they possibly could. I guess. I mean, you've met my friend Joe Joe Moore, who did the um, who does the forging. He's he, he's the one who knows a, a lot of the history on uh, on the steels. And his background is university i think yeah he, he teaches uh he teaches blacksmithing but yeah he's a he's a very knowledgeable chap on uh steels and stuff like that but uh having joe here at portland works it was uh it's been quite a fortuitous partnership really having having a blacksmith here who could forge steel for me as well i mean i'd love to learn how to do it myself but uh not quite got round to that yet, but that's something I definitely want to to do in the future. But his forge at Portland Works is also quite remarkable, isn't it? Because it's it's actually the original forge from yeah from, ages ago. yeah like the eighteen seventies eighteen eighties I think, and uh, yeah, he still works in in the original forge. So yeah, Harry Brealey would have set foot in that building when. Uh, uh, working out what to do with this uh, stainless steel that he'd invented. It was quite remarkable seeing th- these old machines because we are talking actually cast iron machines. Yeah. Uh, still going 150 years later, uh, probably just regularly greased. That's it. <laughs> just yeah. Pounding away. Yeah, I mean the the main grinder I use that that's from that's from the uh, 1930s, I believe, and still going strong. Yeah. Well, that bodes for quality. Now, Absolutely. you mentioned you mentioned earlier that uh, an apprentice uh, in previous times would have spent eight years learning all all manner of patterns. Yeah. Um, the patterns you make today, I mean, by patterns, I assume you mean sort of shape of the blades and so forth. Yeah. How are you? Do you make up your own? Do you make modern ones, or I um, I tend to stick to to their traditional Sheffield patterns, and um, so the the just the the standard what you'd imagine a pocket knife to be the standard shape uh, with the standard Sheffield um, pattern blades. I mean, a lot of them were all invented in Sheffield. There's um, hundreds and hundreds of years of history, tried and tested. So why mess with something that? Um, doesn't need to be so all i do is I, I stick to the traditional patterns but i i like to try and be a bit more inventive with um the uses of of handle material i always try and source sources as, as local as i can i'm lucky that i've got someone who can supply me with uh woods from yorkshire my next door neighbor at home is a, a tree surgeon so he, he often brings me interesting bits for me to use, but I mean Sheffield's got a, a tradition of uh, of knife making, but they've also got a tradition of innovation as well. Uh, so I'm trying to 
they were a mixture of the two on trying to be traditional and inventive at the, at the same time. So just like to experiment with new materials and interesting combinations for, for the handle materials and things like that. So it keeps it interesting as well. Try to push myself. I think I saw one knife with a handle made with denim of some sort. Yeah, um, denim micarta. So uh, micarta is essentially uh, material uh, and resin. So I'd, um, I'd got a pair of my wife's jeans and that she didn't want anymore, and I just cut them up into squares, uh, set them in a mould with resin and then a layer of material, resin material, and then clamp it down, let it dry, and you've got like this hardened denim handle material. And uh, yeah, looks quite effective. And uh, yeah, things like that. <laughs> what was that a one-off or...? I've done, I've done a I've done a few in the past, and I've just recently done one with uh, the the same technique, but with a coffee um, coffee bean sack, so the really heavy Hessian uh, canvas material, and that uh, yes, same effect, really quite effective. Naturally, I'm now sitting here wondering if you could do one in tweed. <laughs> I've not thought of that, but um, yeah, I, I'm sure I could do that. Yeah. Do you find you make a lot of sort of special editions or I imagine a lot of these knives are pretty collectible? Yeah, um, I do get um, the yeah the, the, the custom orders, like people asking, can, can I do this combination and stuff like that? But uh, hopefully, the, um, I think maybe next week, I'm having a new website made and there will be an option on there to um, make a fully customizable knife with all the different blade options and the material options. And apparently there's like a million combinations that can be uh, put into a knife now with this new website. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, one thing I've, I've started doing as well is, is once a month having a, having a sale and uh, of like five, five or six knives that I've been working on and just trying out new combinations and new ideas and stuff like that. So they'll be the more collectible ones, I guess, because they'll be the one-offs. Right. Where, where do you find uh, your customers come from? Um, it's the majority, I'd say 90% UK. A um, few go over to America, um, France, uh, yeah, Australia, Canada, all over the world, really, but... Yeah, about 90% is the UK, but I'd like to tap into the American market, which is uh, very big, and uh, they're uh, really into the knives. And, I mean, it was uh, the country that really, I think 90% of knives made in Sheffield at one point were going to America. But uh, it's the other way around now. <laughs> yeah. I'd have guessed that um, a lot of what you were doing was going to Japan, but obviously not. No, I, I don't think I've... Um, no, I never sold a knife to Japan, actually. No. You must be the first sort of British heritage company that isn't being uh, bought from Japan. That's it. Well, I'll, uh, I need to uh, up my marketing, I guess. <laughs> well, I guess there's a, a limit to how many you can make and if sales are sort of 
if people are buying everything you make, there's a limit there. Yeah, I mean, um, I am absolutely chock-a-block full for Christmas orders. That's why I'm in the workshop on a Sunday. Um, it's It's been, yeah, incredibly busy. Uh, I mean, I'd like to get to a point where I could have some knives in stock because obviously I do get people asking, uh, can you, have you got anything in stock? I need something for a present or something like that. And I, I just, I've never been able to get in front to um, have anything in stock, which is no bad thing, I guess. But would be nice. That's the very, very best way of doing business. I mean, it's like Morgan cars. They're, if you want one, you have to wait two years. Right. I've made a knife with uh, wood from a Morgan car, actually. It's uh, an interesting one. So where do you see this going in the years to come? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, uh, I mean, over the years, it, it's been getting busier and busier, and that's why I've got uh, James working with me now. So um, if it continues, maybe... Oh, I'd have to get a bigger workshop. I'm I'm absolutely uh, crammed in this one. I, I mean, when you came over last time, I've moved into a bigger workshop, and and I've got a little another little annex to that, which is uh, everything's full. So if it gets any bigger, I'd have to get a a bigger workshop. But I'd still, if it does get bigger, I'd still like it to be one person making the knife from start to finish, like I do now. But uh, you, do, you do put your name on it, don't you? I do, yes, yeah, and everything, everything is still made from start to finish by one person, um, and that's like, like I say, if it gets bigger and I need more people, I'd still want it to be one person making the knife from start to finish. I'm just thinking about the possibilities for the future, and I mean. Uh, I do specialise in pocket knives. I've really been pushing the kitchen knives this year, which has um, turned out quite well as well. People are interested in that, which is, uh, I guess, because they are sort of less niche than, than the pocket knives. I mean, every every household has a kitchen knife, so that's opened up another avenue. But I'd like to look at possibly doing the uh, straight razors um, and... Maybe more tools. I, I had an idea of of uh, doing the, the the hive tools for for beekeepers, which I guess is another quite niche thing. But uh, I've had some some ideas of, of that. So yeah, I'm just looking at, at what else what else I can uh, make. Uh, again, just trying to push myself and expand my techniques and hopefully make me a better knife maker. I have noticed your Damascus steel kitchen knives, and they do look fierce. Mm. Yeah, I imagine, I imagine chefs are really keen on them. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it, they're really good fun to do. Um, and again, it's just all uh, just making more things, making expanding, expanding the range, and seeing what what can be done. And uh, yeah, the kitchen knives have been good fun to do, and. Uh, I, uh, I really should make a set for myself, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't have my own knives for for the kitchen, so uh, I think that's what I'll do in the uh, after the uh, after Christmas. I'll make myself a set of kitchen knives. 
it's like the the cobbler's children, isn't it? Having the worst shoes or something like that. <laughs> or, or when selecting a hairdresser, you want to go for the one with the worst haircut. <laughs> yeah, Somewhere. well, uh, luckily, um, a friend of mine, he's, he's, uh, he's a barber. In fact, I've just made him a, a set of kitchen knives because he, uh, he does free haircuts for me. So uh, I've, uh, I've given him a... Uh, a good deal on some kitchen knives, and he's uh, messaged me after he's extremely happy with those. So it's good feedback. Good. Okay, Michael, I think I'm going to let you uh, get on with um, taking care of your Christmas orders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to stand in the way of uh, business. So, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time out to uh, talk a bit about Sheffield knife making. Not a problem. Enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk again. Hopefully see you uh, in Sheffield sometime. I'd love to be back again soon. And that concludes this week's episode of Gomology. Thanks to Michael May for being a fine guest. You can find Michael on Instagram as Michael May Knives, or you can find him on the web as michaelmayknives.com. If you'd like to get in touch with uh, me, Nick Johannesson, your host of Gomology, my email address is gomology at welldressedad.com. If you enjoyed this, you might also enjoy my blog at welldressedad.com, and you can find me on Instagram as, well, predictably, welldressedad. So uh, until next week, thanks a lot and uh, have fun. Have fun.